You can just call me Lindsay, like Madonna, Shakira. <laughs> except I've not been attacked by wild boars. I was going to say, the wild boars are roaming in Milton Keynes. A podcast all about learning languages and reaching your potential. My name is Kirsten Cable and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Lindsay Williams. Woohoo! And together we talk about languages and communication, curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. And recently, something new that I learned is that Lindsay's idol, Shakira... Has been walking in. Has been walking in Barcelona, <laughs> and she got attacked by wild boars. Lindsay, is that is that a um, a common fear in Barcelona? Is that something that's happened to Shakira before? How did you react to all of that? <laughs> you want my hot take on the Shakira news? Um, Your hot take on Shakira. Honestly, like when when Ashley said, oh, how have you not heard this headline? Kind of shouted from the other room. And I thought, what headline? And then I Googled it and very quickly found out. I wasn't surprised to learn very quickly that Shakira survived because <laughs> Shakira's Shakira. Like, Do you think she had sort of, you know what I mean? of self-defense uh, skills? Oh, she's just, yeah, yeah. She's She learned to skate in lockdown. Wow. I think she learned to surf in lockdown as well. Like... Yeah, she can fend off a wild boar. No worries. The thing that threw me about that was that she was walking in Spain, (laughs) which made me assume that Shakira is living in Spain. Yeah, I think so. With her husband, Gerard Pique. He plays for Barcelona. Oh, wow. Or played. I don't know. Shakira top skills. (laughs) Maybe played. (laughs) Okay. Moving on from the Shakira podcast, but I wanted to start us on something light, something easy, because things are going to get so hot potato in here, listeners. You're not even going to know where your head is at. We have got a major, major topic, and I'm just going to read you the title of the article that instigated this. It's called, Who Pays for Cheap Language Instruction? Whew. Ooh, maybe you've got thoughts. We've got thoughts. We've got all the thoughts and they're coming at you very, very soon. But first, let's catch up and let's give a shout out to our sponsor. Talking of cheap language instruction, talking of very affordable language instruction and pretty good language instruction, I would say. And beyond that, it's not really instruction, it's practice. And that's what I really love about Closemaster, our language sponsor for this season. So Closemaster, it is a gamified app. Oh, we're going to be talking about gamified apps later on. But it's a gamified app where you focus on practicing your language learning skills by practicing vocabulary and context. And it does one simple thing, which is the close, C-L-O-Z-E exercise, which is essentially fill the gap in the sentence. My Welsh teacher does it with us every Thursday. It's called Clenwy Bilchai in Welsh. And we're doing Clenwy Bilchai all the time. So this is a tried, tested, proven I want to say traditional, but that's not very attractive, is it? Um, (laughs) Time-honoured, there you go, time-honoured exercise that really keeps, I think it keeps things fresh as well. And it helps you think 
creatively and think in context about your vocabulary. So this is really brilliant. And Clothesmaster, we, we particularly love it because they've got over 50 languages on offer that you can work with and 190 language pairings. So because a lot of the content is um, generated from, it's called Tatoeba. Yeah. Um, from this big database, there's loads of language pairings available. So you can absolutely give it a go and try it out. So if you like practicing with language apps that focus on vocabulary and you want to keep your skills sharp and practice the things that you have learned, maybe not for cheap, maybe for cheap, then definitely try this out. I've got a video for you at clothesmaster.com slash fluent show. And I'm going to spell that out for the Americans, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash fluent show. And for the Brits, it's the same, but the Z is a Z and I'm never going to get tired <laughs> of that. So dig into this app. It's free to try out. Thank you so much to Clothesmaster for supporting the Fluent Show. Whoop, whoop. Yay. Lindsay, have you been clothes mastering recently? Have you been mastering recently? Uh, what, like just learning in general? Mastering? Oh, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I had some, um, I had a lot of Russian lessons over the summer. August was always going to be this busy month of like two summers basically squashed into one with everything being cancelled last year. And um, so I knew this. And so to make sure that I did keep up with my Russian, I just booked lessons. Basically, every day I was going to be at home, I booked a lesson on italki, which is something we'll be talking about later mm -hmm. today. And um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. and yeah, it, it helped because it just made sure that I was connected to the language. I was keeping going and uh, yeah, still mm -hmm. enjoying my Russian. Yeah. So what is something that you've recently learned in Russian? I recently learned in Russian that independent is ne and then the word for dependent, right? Now, of course, like, you can, I recognize in English, there's that prefix of like in or im, like impossible, possible, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But I never thought of it as being like ne, because ne is no, like a negative thing, right? In Russian. And so to mm -hmm. think of it as being like not dependent in my head kind of was like this whole like, oh, because independent always feels like a good word in English. Like you are independent, you're strong, you're ah. fighting for your independence, you know? And to think of it as having this ne mm -hmm. in there, that was really interesting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Sort of this, this idea of every positive makes mm. a negative and like the light and dark of, of these kind of things. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I love it when language makes you think about your like, own. the whole world. And makes yes. You, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it mad? <laughs> I have to say, my I've been almost the opposite of you. I think my August was very, very quiet on on language learning because I do this um, Thursday night class that just pretty much runs with the school term. I went to Thursday night classes and they finished at the end of, I want to say July. We ran quite far into the summer. They gave us extra weeks uh, from maybe from all the money they saved, not hiring village halls <laughs> or something like that. And um, yeah, it was like, do you guys want to do more weeks? And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, you want to give us even more? Cool. And um, but it started up again in in September, so I'm back on the I'm back on the old Microsoft Teams um, language class with lots of people, and that's really fun. And I have to say, the best thing that I've recently done in Welsh 
um, apart from actually going to Wales and ordering chips, was that I I watched one of my favorite things on television, and I think this might be a bit weird that I love this so much, um, but I really really enjoy watching sheepdog trials. Ah, huh. that'll do, pig. You that'll know? do. <laughs> No, it's sheep, isn't it? It's, so, uh, yeah, but the, that's what it is in Babe. For for those, because Babe, oh, he is does. He? Do they yeah. have it in Babe? He 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 he's oh, a sheep. sheep. He wants to be a, a sheepdog. Sheep. Dog. She. And so he rounds up the sheep. Oh wow! That'll do, pig. That'll do. Oh, I didn't know about. Have that. you never seen Babe? I have never. We need to fix this. No. Einschwein in oh, the that's Stadt. The, that's the follow up. The main Einschwein film in the is. City? I don't know what it's yeah, called. Place in my heart. Oh. Oh, ein Schweinchen. I had like a, it's, I had like that, a, like a Furby out, type no, thing never, of Babe that spoke when it. you fed him food. I, I loved pigs when I was little. That was my, that was my jam. You were busy watching your sheepdog trials. Ah, <laughs> no, because I never knew before I moved to the UK. I never ah. ever encountered this, this thing. So to me, it's just like it's kind of a very British thing. It always comes around in sort of September, and they're they're often in Wales, but I just hadn't. I was just kind of like looking around what S4C, the Welsh channel, has to offer. Um, and then they had the, the Kuhn, Kuhn David, Kuhn David, I think it's called. Um, they had the sheepdog trials and I was like, oh, wow. And it's completely different on the Welsh channel. Because when you're watching it in the English television, it's sort of like mm -hmm. a commentary. Like they, it's almost, they take it quite seriously as a sport, right? And the Welsh do too, but you get all these home stories with all these different farmers where it's like, ah, oh, one of them, he had a dog called Putin. Oh, like, and he was telling like all the these Canadian stories. Like old guy. Chips with cheese curds. Oh. No, not Putin, I don't think. Putin, like P U, you know, the W. Oh, like a Welsh word. Okay. Um, of course, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah, like a Welsh word. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, he's a Welsh, Welsh man. <laughs> Um, and it was just this old man telling a story about, you know, his, mm. his dog Putin. Um, and to me, it's like, is that dog named the Russian, the Russian guy? Maybe mm. it's Vladimir the dog. Unclear, unclear, but you know, it's just all these home stories and you get, you get all this like background information about the farmers, which I found fascinating. Um, but then they did talk too much over the actual best bit, which is just someone walking along and whistling and going, here yeah, boy. And I just Have you seen um, Travels with My Father with Jack Whitehall? I think they do sheepdog sheep herding in uh, Wales. I yeah. saw it, but it's sort of, I saw where they went to, not the UK. Ah, well, they've just done the UK and they went to Wales and did sheepdogs. And I found them. That sounds weird. I know the point is that they're condescending, but they're a bit condescending, Aww. aren't they? Yeah, some of it's a little bit staged. That most certainly, most certainly. So yeah, that was my good in language learning. And I don't really, I don't think I have a bad um, because my Welsh seems to be continuing. And it's just, what's bad is that I've had to sit through about four hours now of super dry talk about complex prepositions, <laughs> which I don't really need to ever hear again in my life. <laughs> but, you know, we got through it. And um, I had this point yesterday. Have you ever had this in a language lesson where I I felt the wall go up in my head? Oh, like the, the wall of like, you know? nope, I'm like, not going to understand this. Don't want to know. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I could still understand 
you know, Welsh and all that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't completely like I'm done. I'm only English or only German now or whatever. But it was sort of anything new that you give me now is going to not cut, is not going to mm. go in. And it was like a physical sensation. Interesting. Very odd. It was, it was very much like, okay, I, I'm going to close this book now because I can't take anything else in. I'm, I'm full. I can't do it. Um, and this is, I mean, this is rare. This is rare. But if you, you know, listeners, if you've ever encountered this feeling as a sort of almost physical thing, let me know. Maybe I'm weird. <laughs> almost certainly I'm weird. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm going to move on. Um, Lindsay to oh I wanted to mention one one extra thing um, so before we move on please give us a shout out about your goodie bag thing yeah because it's about today this. the day this episode goes live if you're listening in the future apologies because it's one week only um, I have reached out to loads and loads of um, language companies and language uh, individuals and businesses and asked if they have anything they want to share with you um, for free. And the idea is to just discover someone new, discover a new language, a language you're already learning, but see it through a different, you know, a different light, a different perspective. And uh, yeah, it's available now. And it's free. You can sign up right now for free and get access to all of that good stuff. Indeed. So how many suppliers, or <laughs> suppliers how many participants do you have in this, in this amazing I goodie bag? If I try and add them all up in my head now, I think it's close. It's around 20, 20 different things. Oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah, certainly. And listeners, do do check it out if you are interested in um, in Lindsay's goodie bag. Lindsay is going to be at what URL? LindsayDoesLanguages.com forward slash goodie bag forward slash goodie bag, and I'll pop it in the show notes as well. And I'll give you a little hint that I've thrown in. I think one of my one of my favorite things that I offer, one of my favorite offers is is in this goodie bag. So for one week only, I've never done this mm. before. Uh, you can go ahead and help yourself and discover something, um, a way of thinking, a way of um, approaching a big uh, worry area for many, many language learners that I really care about. I would really love you to go through it and just sort of discover this message and try out try out this approach for Yay. yourself That's yeah keep it secret keep it secret <laughs> gotta sign up to find out <laughs> uh now Lindsay, when you when you go to a restaurant or when you go to mm -hmm. a shop and you take something yeah normally what happens is they bring you the bill yeah. right and you sort of you know like you you think about it um you, you don't really think about the cost of the thing at that point so much anymore. I think when you go into school, of course, no one presents you the bill. And I think for a long, long time, there was this, there was this big gaping, I would say, hole between language learning in school and how we know it in school being given to people for free, as it should be, and adult language learning later mm. on. And... We, you know, people used to think like language learning by yourself has to be extremely expensive. Like it's unaffordable. It's actually not doable. And then something happened and the internet really happened. And now everything is different. I feel like we need to, and we're going to in this episode, do a sort of taking stock exercise and 
Oh, try and untangle something that I have found incredibly well 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 written this article this is really really good it's called who pays for cheap language instruction um and sort of gives a well researched and i would say fairly depressing uh assessment of where the language industry is at and i'm gonna i'm gonna start this and just tell you i know the language sort of online language learning industry is an industry but i don't think even i working in it had thought about it in the scale that that this reveals if this makes that sense. makes sense yeah yeah because we sort of you know like we're sort of doing our thing and especially as independent teachers or independent pro content producers or whatever you want to call yourself as someone who works independent you're kind of doing your your you're thing doing your you don't thing. think about it yeah. as this huge global industry yeah but boy oh boy is this this is big so i'm gonna um, this is a long, long, long article. Um, before I go into summarizing it and kind of sharing, and we can discuss the different parts of it, uh, what was your what was your impression when you read through hmm. this? So you just said about how there perhaps used to be this expectation of like when you're an adult, one of the reasons you can't learn a language is because it's very expensive. You've missed your chance when it was free in school, and then I feel like that's one extreme that then pinged all the way to the other end of everything then mm. becoming free, free, learn language for free, right? And mm. that happens, like most notably, like, so for me right now in my um, MA stuff, it's all about second language acquisition. We finally got to the point where I can pick my modules. So I picked it right away, boom, straight in there. I'm in there, in the, in the, uh, you, Kirsten, you you would need to bring the crash and collection because that's <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> but it's but honestly, like I I've as I'm reading through all of this stuff, the same thing happens in in that respect as well, where we thought, okay, so we need to read and translate and learn the grammar. Ding 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 ding. No, we don't. We suddenly need to speak all the time and speak 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 speak. It's like this, yeah. you know ping pong match where actually we can't just sit in the middle and yeah. be like well maybe we need a bit of both maybe we do need to you know we can enjoy some of the free stuff and we can also pay for some of the stuff over there or maybe also we can speak 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 but also pay attention to you know the the reading the writing the grammar etc whatever you know finding some kind of middle ground it's always one extreme or the other that's the the kind of main thing that that struck me and you mentioned it there as well and particular with um with Things like, um, I'm going to say the, the input method, which is sort of what, um, I guess, sort of like what Crash and World was like a hypothesis in a, in a long academic mm. text, right? But slowly what it's been boiled down to, part of why this, this forms um, the core of specific things, I think, and we'll see this later on as well, is that there is a marketing message that you can make out of it. Because if you can um, coin a term and invent a method, um, that is really, really good marketing. Mm, mm. And it's then very easy. And I'm sure I'm, I, I didn't mean to, to to bring crashing into this, but I'm sure that like this was unintentional, but it's then become very easy to point to things like that, like Krashen's research. Like, oh, but this academic man says that that input is is good see see so you just need to take it in you you know you just tap away and you'll learn and it will be fine because there's they're just yeah. pointing to one thing 
one area of research, you know, um, it's, it's yeah. too easy to do. And it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like what we're realizing is free isn't actually enough. It also has to be easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I spoke about this a while back, a few months back earlier in um, 2021, um, when I was doing another essay. Oh, look at this coming into play. I'm glad it's helping. Um, <laughs> it was all about um, <laughs> critical discourse analysis. And it was basically like I had to analyze some texts. And I was like, this bit's boring. How can I make this interesting? I'm going to analyze language learning texts. And so I got all these books off my shelf and I'm looking at them and I'm looking for like similarities and differences. And I really noticed, like, it's going to sound silly, but for the first time, because I was looking for it, how often on the front of books we see quick and easy or variations of, or we see like a time frame or you know, we see like effortless, all of these kind of adjectives and different ways of saying quick and easy, because that's what we think we want language learning to be. Because we, th we think, mm -hmm. you know, we want the result. We don't necessarily think too much about the process. We don't think about um, any consequences of that process as well. And that is something that I think is really evident in this article. It's the consequences mm -hmm. of that. You know, this is sort of, th this is part of why I wanted to, I've, I've shaken up the intro text of the, of the fluent show, the first thing I say at the start a little bit, because I wanted to bring in, um, it says enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. Um, and the fact that it is challenging, the, the longer I work with people, um, the more I appreciate the, the value of mm. that. And how important that is and how I want to actually highlight that. Like if, if it's challenging and that puts you off, that's absolutely fine. That's fair. Um, it's interesting that I wonder if, I wonder if the, the low costness may have contributed in a way to the expectation of things to be easier. Hmm. It's like, yeah, hmm. interesting. But we don't have we don't have information about that, and I guess we've what we've done for you listeners is set the scene. This is sort of the world that we live in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this article now. Um, there is just so much to talk through, so it's quite a long one, and I'm gonna give you the first kind of line <laughs> or the first the summary. So as I said, it's called "Who Pays for Cheap Language Instruction." I'm gonna go into the first bit of this and it's I've broken down my summary or into a few parts so we'll talk about what the situation is how that's even possible um, and then kind of what that means for the industry and that almost comes around to because the industry listeners is all of us we are the industry we're getting knocked on by this we're getting oh okay so I'm, I'm feeling passionate about this uh, I'm going to stay in part one where I'm a little bit more neutral so it starts off Media stories praising online language learning as an inexpensive way to take a vacation during COVID-19 have expressed astonishingly little curiosity about the conditions under which gig economy language teachers labor. So this goes into saying when COVID happened, we all worried about borders closing and the world shutting off and language learning still became a bright spot for many people, even people who had not been in this, you know, I am a regular language learner community before was were, were connecting through, you know, maybe while in home quarantine, maybe while having to 
be under a really strict lockdown. That was the way that you could reach out and connect with the world. So it was it was considered very, very positive, good for maybe your mental health, etc. And the media has been reporting how easy and cheap it is to, to learn languages through apps. Uh, part of this celebration was that the tuition given by the apps and teaching platforms was, and I quote from this article, which quotes from the New York Times, free or at the very least won't break the bank. Um, and I'll give you one other quote um, and then we'll talk about this kind of situation. Amidst this, however, few have stopped to wonder what was making language instruction so affordable. Perhaps because the answer is too obvious. The same things that have given us cheap coffee, budget car rides and bottom dollar high street fashion, that is outsourcing, underpaid global self-labor and the gig economy. Mm-hmm. What? Mind mm-hmm. blown. Lindsay mm. Williams, where where to even start? I mean, yeah, it's pretty intense already, isn't it? I think it's all... It's, it's an it's, intro. Wow. It's one heck of an intro and it's all pretty accurate. You can't really mm. argue with any of that. And um, I think, yeah, like like they say, the answer is too obvious. It's the, you know, like um, people think, ah, oh, Airbnb, that's what I want. But for this industry or, oh, Uber, that's what I want. But for that industry, like people just, as soon as there's an idea, kind of latch on and then try and reframe it into something else. And often, yeah, it's outsourcing, underpaid, global south, which I think is a good term. I like that. Um, Labour and the gig economy. <sighs> it's difficult because mm. there's always going to be people who need work and people who want some sort of quick and easy work that doesn't have I mean, I know we're going to come on to work, but work that doesn't have the commitment or, um, yeah, the commitment of like a full-time kind of salary job. But equally, alongside not having the commitment of that, you don't get any of those benefits that you would get with a salaried job, like healthcare and um, pension and all of that stuff. And you're kind of out there on your own, which isn't always... And like a, a reliable Yeah, income, and, and not necessarily um, being, you know, like sort of fully set up as a self-employed person because it is just something on the side. It is just something you're maybe trying or experimenting or doing to get a little bit extra money as quote unquote a sort of side hustle, which I don't like the term hustle, but you know, it makes me heave a little mm. bit inside. But be, there's always going to be people that want slash need that. And there's always going to be people that are willing to then, you know, if you make the infrastructure, people need money to live. So you can't blame the teachers for joining platforms like this. You can't blame um, Uber drivers or delivery drivers, whatever, right? Or people that make bottom dollar high street fashion in factories it's the people who maybe are a little bit kind of above them in their role that should perhaps consider taking more responsibility. Mm. That's my first thought. Mm -hmm. And you also can't blame, you also can't blame people for using these services, right? Like, yeah, you could, you could 
try and live like a purely sort of ethical life and never have, um, to quote, cheap coffee, budget car rides or bottom dollar high street fashion or bottom dollar language lesson, right? You could try and live this life where, oh yeah, I, I you know, pay stuff, I, fa- I buy fair trade, et cetera, et cetera. There's always going to be some element that you don't have the control over, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just impossible as the consumer. We can try and make changes, but it isn't the, the the blame kind of okay, sorry, I'm going on all the tangents here, but it's a bit like with I know it's, it's like we're, so we're, much. we're gonna come back to lots it's a of bit this. like with things like recycling, where if you ever notice on on a packet mm-hmm. it will say recycle this after use, right? Or please recycle me after use. That's cool. That's yeah, nice. I'm made up of 12 components for <laughs> 12 Like that's nice. Yeah, good. You should encourage people to recycle, but also maybe as the as the creator, if you like, of that plastic bottle, you should think about how you could package differently rather than just expect the consumer to do that and to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing is passing on that responsibility. So yeah, lots of thoughts, probably too many all at once, but let's let's carry on. <laughs> mm, yeah, we'll we'll do some more untangling. We'll do some more untangling. See the the thing that the introduction I've read it a few times now, kind of thought about it and sort of, you know, thought about how it all fits together. And the the one thing that really stood out to me in this. Um, and, and something that I have observed in our language learning kind of field increasingly, I think, is that the one mindset shift that that I hadn't taken, I think maybe I had taken a little bit more because I am a provider, you know, later we'll talk about the knock-on effects. We're all knocked on. You know, anyone who's providing services in this area um, gets, gets knocked by this. Um, but the one thing I hadn't really two and two together is is this in language learning we exist in an industry and i think we i often have really bristled when people have i've i've heard this many times from various different learners um people describing italki as oh italki is expensive or italki is too expensive for me and i always bristle at that and push back quite strongly and say italki is not what you're paying for. You are paying the individual teacher who is doing work and having to support themselves. It is not, italki doesn't actually set rates, prices or anything. It's a, it's a, you know, a platform, it's a marketplace. Um, and, and that was always something where I felt like, you know, we, we have used these services and, and all of us do it, you know, like you download an app, you download another app because they're free. Like, why not try them all out? And you think of yourself as, well, I need this. I think there's a certain sense of the way the uh, this New York Times quote really it, it gives me that sort of it's free or at very least it won't break the bank. This sort of what's to lose? Like we are entitled to language learning yeah. education because we are doing a noble thing by learning a language and thereby that entitles us to not think about the bigger picture. And it's you're right there's the you know the teaching platform will come to that um, outsourced labor and the kind of economical economic um, uh, injustice, I'm going to just say it uh, or put it, aspect. But then to me, there's also the other aspect that of, of the apps, 
how the apps are made um, and the complete and utter devaluation of the actual product, which is the work of the people who make the language courses. Um, but that is the least valued labor in the whole ecosystem, because what you're really engaging with is actually the gamification and the development. And you choose the app, not based on like, it's completely the language itself can't be valued. We know that. And therefore, as a consequence, what happens when, when it's datafied and gamified and, and delivered so conveniently and easily is that the labor around the language also isn't valued anymore, but that's actually people doing that labor. And I think that's really interesting. But that line between the cheap coffee and the Uber and the marketplaces and this sort of industrial concept because everything is free at the point of delivery i think it's very easy for us as language learners to not think as it, of it as if we're in an industry mm. i look at a lot of things and think what is that price that should be way more expensive coffee is a brilliant example mm -hmm. brilliant example mm -hmm. like when you see the process of coffee growing and being picked and then being dried and being washed and being roasted and then being packaged and shipped like you're gonna sell that for what like five pounds that should cost like way more my goodness but because we've been so yeah. and like as this is what i mean when i say it's it's not the consumer's fault like We've been kind of conditioned, if you like. It's like the water. Yeah, we've swimming, been kind of conditioned right? to think, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's the price of coffee. So if it's more than that, oh, it's expensive. Yeah. I don't want to pay that. Whereas actually, when we start to mm -hmm. question, then maybe we can begin to think, ah, interesting. Yeah. So it's commodification. And then I think with the language learning industry, it's it it hits even harder like it 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 hurts even more because when you think about it what what the commodity is um is something that you can't touch so it's not even like you know a cheap whatever like a a five dollar top or something that you have shipped to your house and stuff that's still a thing you can touch but this is we're talking about invisible mm. um labor and something that is completely invaluable that inval unvaluable invaluable yeah it it is worth nothing if you don't interact with it, right? So you as the learner have to do some work and that makes it feel even more like everything everything that allows you to do that work because you're the one doing the work to learn. It makes it feel like everything around providing that work should yeah, be Yeah, but then what makes that damaging is that when you say like mm. doing the work, I'm going to kind of quote unquote that because it's like if you're just using an app, say, and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to learn a language with this free app, cool. Tap, yeah, you're tap, tap. Doing a lot of work. You're not doing much yeah. work, but then you're also thinking, huh, this isn't working. So I can't learn a language. Maybe I don't have the gene. Maybe it's not meant for me, et cetera, et cetera. And potentially you're then not going to think about investing down the line into things that actually could help you learn in a deeper way for longer with better results. Because you've thought, well, I tried it for yeah. free and it didn't work. So why would I pay for it? I think, yeah, definitely a rant for a different day, I think, is people mistaking. And this is very much, um, I, I, I'm just going to come out and say, like, I, I think Duolingo in particular is, is something where I see it 
bad, but they're not the only ones by far, um, is the implication that something that is a language brain training game is the same as instruction, like fully qualified mm. instruction. Even though there are many volunteers doing the instruction. So I'm going to come on to the next bit now. Um, did so much work summarizing this article, so I'm going to try and, <laughs> try and stick with, somehow we'll try and stay on track. So the, the question is now, of course, like, how? How is this possible? And, and maybe ask yourself the question for the, for the first time in a while, how is so much of this stuff free? Um, and here, I would say the article focuses on Duolingo, which is not wrong, and it's not that they're the worst or whatever, but they are by far the market leader, and they're making so much money. Okay, so working conditions and pay are often not addressed in all these articles about how affordable language learning is now. And this ecosystem doesn't benefit anyone teaching the language. It devalues the teaching work. So here is the first quote from this article that for me was something, again, I just feel like when I first saw the headline, I was like, ah, I told you so. But then I felt when I actually read it, it's not told you so because they're saying it's so much better and so much better research than I ever even had the sense of it. But these are all things that I've seen once and then probably filed in my head under, I'm a bit uncomfortable and I don't know why. Okay, so whether a company oversees a language learning app, a live tutoring platform, or some hybrid, a perusal of its job listings and employee roster will lead inevitably to the conclusion that the majority of its permanent employees are software engineers and interface designers, followed by marketing professionals, data analysts, product managers, accountants, linguistics researchers, and leadership. The labor force that generates the actual language content, by contrast, is mostly freelance and therefore ineligible for benefits mm. such as healthcare, particularly um, US you know, relevant. obviously written from an American perspective. Yeah. Um, and then kind of goes on to summarize that teaching languages as such, the actual teaching or curriculum development and all the really, you know, this is this is qualified, super qualified work in a way, but it's become so devalued that it's become precarious. We've already talked about, you know, job security. Some people may want that, but many people mm. need a regular mm. income, right? It's underpaid because there's this pressure to compete globally um, and it becomes exhausting for the language teacher. So this is the working conditions that, and I, I would say I've, I have spoken to teachers and it's not 100%, you know, the, the rule that everybody struggles with this. Um, but these are problems that I regularly hear teachers complain about. So this is not unrealistic. Um, and then the apps. In Can I just add something sort of, to that as well? Yeah, go ahead. I've I've noticed, and especially over the past um, two years at this point, basically with with coronavirus, there's definitely when there are jobs that are by their very nature quite altruistic, teaching, nursing, medicine, those kinds of things, it becomes almost noble to go above and beyond and to work more hours than you're expected and to give, 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 because you have this built into you as a person who wants to do that for a living. You, you're naturally quite an altruistic person, right? You want to give, you want to help. And that is very, very easily exploited. And on a, on a, on a national scale, at least, it's, they then get branded like heroes. We're going to clap for carers. It's like, well, we're clapping on my doorstep on a Thursday, 8 p.m. is not going to give that person more money in their paycheck at the end of the month. That doesn't really help. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's just, 
we're very it's it's professions like that that are very easily kind of held up as like oh wow aren't they wonderful but then you have you're expected Mm. then to constantly be scrapping and scrapping and giving and giving and giving and yeah that is exhausting even when you're then doing Mm. it in an online setting in a global setting that can still come out which I think is is wrong yeah oh I have a quote I have a, a further quote for you um, where the article goes more into Duolingo. So I'm going to pull that out now um, because I think this is this is a big one. So um, it goes on further to say language learning apps own and profit from selling data generated through the algorithms. So the, the, the killer quote here is learners, learners in uh, speech marks on Duolingo are actually just performing the free labor or even paying for the privilege of helping the company improve its proprietary algorithms end quote oh and i i know and i I, this is why everybody thinks i hate duolingo because i pointed this out in like 2015 when i wrote my um first article about duolingo in the blog uh duolingo's business model has always been built on selling data um they used to even say oh help us translate the web you know it was always translation is also labor and it should be really well paid because it's extremely qualified labor but then further it says and this is something that it, it makes me want to, honestly, it makes me want to smash walls. This is, this is crazy making. Furthermore, Duolingo courses are developed by volunteers. The company uses its so-called incubator to, so again, I'm quoting now, the company uses its so-called incubator to look for volunteer course developers willing to, in speech marks, change the world by contributing to the, in speech marks, Here it is, altruistic. in speech marks, as many of the world's languages to as many people as possible, completely free of charge. In addition to unpaid altruistic labor, Duolingo benefits from the data it produces on how to maximize user retention, which it generates by analyzing the behavior of millions of people on it on its app. And I shared this in my Facebook group and somebody somebody commented and said, um, the Duolingo situation doesn't bother me based on the article. Sounds symbiotic, right? The company um, and its non-paying customers benefit from each other, right? They sell our data. We get free language tuition. Everything's happy. But... You're not paying as as if Duolingo, which is going public next year, can't afford a really good wage for a course that it's going to have on its platform for ages and ages. And I know, I know volunteering is a noble cause, but I do not subscribe to the idea that in order to be noble, you have to work mm, for free. That's what I'm talking about. That's just like that's what I'm talking like, about. It, y- yes, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. That. And, and this implication, and this happens, um, I've, I'm reading a book about women and leadership at the moment, and it's, you know, it's very common, um, a, a common kind of thing that holds women back as well. And it's this kind of general um, criticism that you can always level in this way. And I have seen language learners do this. So really, really, this is, I think this is so important that we become more aware, become more self-aware to, to imply that wanting to get paid for what you provide, be it a product like an app, be it a service, be it whatever it is, must not be regarded as a, a, a bad character evil mm, act. Mm, mm. It's very, very, very important. And I think because what it, what it enables big companies to do, um, and it's just put two and two together of like the, the course creators are volunteers, 
yet the developers aren't volunteers on Duolingo. Mm. You know, the marketing team aren't volunteers. And I just feel like there's something wrong here. And it's exactly like you say, Lindsay, that implication that something is a noble cause. Yeah, altruism is very easy to exploit. Exactly. Yes. And that, and that a noble cause, as soon as you add money to a noble cause, it's no longer mm. a noble cause. Yeah. And here we're in a situation where money is being made. You know, money is being made without a great course developed by fantastic people. I know some of them. And genuinely, like, um, and I would say they're not people, at least the examples that I know, the people who have developed those courses are people who have a secure income somewhere else who are doing this, you know, maybe as a hobby. But that doesn't mean you should expect this to be a hobby thing. I don't know. I just don't think you should be doing necessarily free work for a, a company as a hobby. I just, yeah, I think it doesn't, it's not suddenly a bad thing to do. I always feel funny about volunteering within kind of business models, like, vol like I, volunteering for me, like I just, you know, sort mm -hmm, of looked mm -hmm. into some volunteering options and started volunteering um, locally with like um, a sort of refugee support thing, right? Because that's not a company. Mm -hmm. They are like, um, you know, an organization. They're not funded. They have to raise all the funds. It's a very different thing. And it's a really small team. And yeah. Well, there's, there's no, no venture capital. Exactly. Exactly. There's no one at the top kind of making money from that, right? So that is, to me, what volunteering should be. The minute that something the minute that kind of money becomes involved and someone is making money somewhere, then everyone along that supply chain essentially should be appropriately, you know, financially rewarded for what they're doing. It's, it's mm -hmm. a separate thing. And I yes. always struggle with that. And maybe there's like an element of um, kind of Americanness in this, in the sense of like internships, like, I think they happen in this country, but I would never do an internship. I'm not going to work for free. I know there's certain industries as well where you're expected to do that, right? Like maybe media and stuff, but I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's I weird. Mean, you know, there, there Why is, do we accept that? I'm sure that? there's a clout <laughs> to saying that, I'm sure there's some clout to saying that you've developed a Duolingo course and stuff, and I'm not denying that. And I'm not denying that the the motivation to perhaps your endangered language, perhaps your small language, you know, to give it that enormous global platform. I'm not saying that's not worth anything, but I'm saying they've got the money, you're working. They should, I don't know. I don't see how that excludes mm. each other, but okay. Um, so, but this sort of, Again, it all contributes to this constant sense that we're sort of feeling around here, which is that, well, education should be free, but what that has created is, this co is, is a big devaluation of the actual labor involved in the language industry. But also, also what that then creates, and I think I touched on this earlier, is less of a um, commitment from the learner side as well. You know, oh yeah, which, oh, 100%. which is fine. Like yeah. you can totally like dabble in a language on Duolingo. Like that's fine. But if you like want to learn a language, at some point you're going to need to invest more than just a few minutes a day, tap tap tapping away. You know, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's going to a place, whether it's you know working. 
in a, in a different country, whatever it is, if you know, you're going to need to invest more than just those few minutes. I I agree. I agree. And in, I mean, this article and and our discussion, we this is even bigger, right? And we can we can go back to this one um, uh, in the future as well. It this is this is an article in a sort of economical context, and they're talking about the economy, not the pedagogical knock-on effects. But Lindsay's very right. There are there are pedagogical knock-on effects that. Um, that impact the learner, that make the learner experience, can make the learner experience worse. Um, it's not everything's automatically be better because it's more and it's cheaper. Um, okay, so I'm going to come to, uh, I'm going to come to the next aspect uh, and we're still in the house. So we've talked about um, the things that, that, that give us this cheapness. And that number one, the apps can actually make money because they profit from the learner behavior. They learn an awful lot through all this gamification stuff about how to retain users. Um, and that is data that they can sell. And number one was the, the general working conditions um, and who gets a job and who doesn't get a job in this economy, like an actual well-paying, let's say Silicon, like you work for, if you're Silicon Valley, like startup paid job, um, and number three is tutoring companies, which are particularly highlighted in this article. But so tutoring companies, it means teacher platforms, um, such as you you will all know Italki, um, who, you know, many, many brilliant things. But again, the knock-on effect, right? So we're just talking about the knock-on knock effect. Um, but also these kind of tutoring platforms where you can maybe, like I've seen it where you can pay maybe $200 a month and you get as many lessons as you want. So this is what the article focuses on next and talks about popular language teaching platforms and the reality of working on there in the gig economy through this platform capitalism, plus the fact that it's online, global. Many workers offer personalized services. And I know this is when I ask learners, what do you want from a teacher? They say, I want custom. I want special to me. I want them to listen to me and think about what my requirements are and then tailor the lessons to me. So this is what people expect on a platform like that. And it makes sense, right? If you're, because your app doesn't do that. So this is the next thing you want. Um, the teachers are rated by the customers like they would be on, like you do on, on an, in an online shop, really. They pay a commission to the platform. That's how the platform makes money. They take, like whatever price you see is not what the price that the teacher gets. Um, and then it's easy for customers. And this is something that really made me go, aha, uh, it's easy for the customer to always find another supplier so that the tutoring relationship doesn't really build. And when I was teaching one-to-one, -one, I had years, years of connections with the same students. Um, and I started on the, the platform, but quite quickly came off it. And it wasn't just because... Um, it, it wasn't just because I wanted my price to be this or that. I was happy with my with that. But it was because I felt... I, I didn't want to feel so interchangeable. So here's how the article puts it. They say the, uh, the overabundance of offerings encourages customers to try out new workers instead of developing lasting relationships. Worker compensation is seemingly self-set, but in reality depends on the ratings, location, the supply and demand dynamic for each language, as well as economic circumstances such as customer un- or underemployment. Mm. I wonder if an easy, an easy fix, but an easy fix towards fixing <laughs> a step, shall we say, um, towards fixing this thing would be something like 
I mean, I don't know if there's already like a minimum payment on things like italki, but to just raise that, you know, and I know the argument would be, oh yeah, but in country X, $2 an hour is a really good salary. It's like, okay, but maybe these people can be earning more mm. than they would in country X. What if, because browsers recognize mm. where you are, mm. right? Um, what if it gave a conversion? That feels complicated, but potentially what possible. Because there is there is the global pay index. There's this thing called the burger oh, index. Oh wait, you mean so? This is how much a big so you big see like costs. yeah. So it would say yeah, like mm -hmm. what they would be earning if this was in your country. That would, well, that would almost instantly break the attractiveness. So they would never do it because it's not good business. Yeah, because um, the cheapness of the tutor is part of the attraction. It's something that. Again, I have pushed on this forever and I've pushed back on this forever and ever. Um, this kind of implication, like, oh, you can get cheap lessons on this and this and that. And it's true. And it's not like I haven't looked at the prices and gone, oh, you know, I can save a fiver on this lesson or that lesson. Um, but I try to push back strongly on the kind of um, discourse about this, like the the that choice of words. It's That's not what you should think about first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we could, what if that showed the burger index and it just said, this teacher is based in Colombia where the average wage converts to blah yeah. or something that like that. That makes you think a little bit more. That would just to, just to like remind you. on a menu. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think people still like, it's, it's tricky, but the thing, the thing in there that, that really stood out to me is this is where it really becomes basically Uber, except the relationship between a tutor and a student, we've previously talked about ghosting, mm. right? The relationship between a tutor and a student is powerful and contributes. We, again, we are at an invisible price that the learner pays. It contributes to the learner's progress. The better your tutor gets to know you, the, the better they're going to work with you. The more you're going to become like this, this sort of accountability builds, the partnership builds. And for me, when I was tutoring, I think that was probably one of the reasons I came off platform because I wanted to really I wanted to really signal that this is a partnership that I am building together with my yeah. students and the interchangeable nature here of and and describing them as a worker like like is it really makes it visible something that we kind of know um but don't maybe necessarily put to the front of our minds when switching teachers and you know how we say oh just try out five six different teachers that means five six different teachers have one lesson with a student and that student ghosts them and that might happen to them five yeah. times a week and that at that point they don't know if they're getting paid anymore like you're getting paid for one for one for one and you can't really rely on anything um you have to you have to ask students to rate you positively um you fall to the bottom you have to start with lower prices and all those things that we know is sort of the game that we have to play um, is not something that necessarily we think about. And something enough. else on this is we, we talked earlier about how it makes it easy, right? This makes it very easy mm -hmm. because I really, really tried when I was learning Russian, I tried to make a really conscious effort to find one independent tutor, not on a platform um, mm. you know, working for themselves that I could work with. And I, you know, maybe I didn't yeah. look hard enough, but I looked around and there were some things like there were some people I found that had like group things and there were some, um, 
things like that, right? Courses and stuff. But I was looking for like a one-on-one tutor to, to meet with once a month, once every couple of weeks. And I messaged a few and what I got back was a lot of italki profiles. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it also made me sad because I was really trying to find something else, you know, away from from this. But not only is it yeah. easy for a learner. But as a teacher, you don't get seen exactly. anymore, Not only you? is it easy as a learner, it's easier for a teacher also then to to just use this to manage scheduling and everything else. And, you know, we talk about this in, mm. in OTSK, in Online Teaching Starter Kit, um, about, uh, you know, a lot of the times about that transition and how do you kind of move when things have been relatively stable on a platform how do you suddenly go to then marketing for yourself, scheduling for yourself, taking the money yourself? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of steps that it makes easy for the tutor as well. So there's benefits, but we often don't see everything that this article is discussing in terms of the weaknesses. And it's maybe we yeah. see them, maybe we ignore them, <laughs> you know? And it's not well, like it's know. the other thing, like, you know, I use these things. I use Duolingo. I use Italki. It's not like they are bad and ethical language learner must never use any of these things at all. You have to make that decision for yourself, but also without applying too much guilt in the sense that you didn't make this system. You know, that's what I mean when I say you can't mm. blame the consumer, um, but the consumer can certainly think about where do I want to learn? Who do I want to learn with? How do I want to do it? And see if there are any changes that we can make as individuals. But know that it's not just on us, you know? Mm, I think it, I like, there's a sort of like, it, I'm not, I mean, you know, this article definitely doesn't paint the no, language learner as no. a bad person. So we're just going to say that. Um, something, I'm going to, I'm going to f- dig out a message that somebody sent me Um a while ago um because something that you're saying there there's there's something about the way that this makes things just a little bit makes everything a bit easier i don't know if i'm able to find it ah it was on instagram so it's it's i'm having to remember the person's (laughs) message i'm gonna have to paraphrase but what they said is um i don't know why i'd have to invest any money when i'm when I'm not going to stick with the language for long. And isn't that a little bit fast fashion in a way? Oh. So you know how we, we say dabbling is good, right? Because it makes you interested. No, no, no. But dabbling encourages all these disposable mm. behaviors. The idea, like not saying dabbling is bad at all, but if you're going to dabble, you're booking three italki lessons and you're like, oh, I had a wonderful time with um, Hindi. Um, and now, wham, bam, thank you, language. Mm. Goodbye. Um, and what it what it encourages, though, and particularly for minority languages, it encourages a sort of disposability, because you're not going to seriously learn Hindi. I don't minority. <laughs> okay, okay. I've, I've, uh, I'm going to pick Welsh <laughs> because it's a, it's the minority language that always comes to my mind. And, you know, like a lot of there's a sort of you're not going to seriously learn this. You kind of just you're, you're just dabbling. You're just playing. Um, it makes you multilingualism is good. It makes you a more well-rounded person. Right, the Duolingo is free. It's right there. Might as well start the course. No one's paying any. No one's, you know, no one's getting damaged by that, which is true. But then, if we acquire, if we apply that to 
actual, you know, one to especially one to one with this custom product should be the premium thing. If we apply that, it becomes, it makes the service provider, the person that you're actually using, it kind of makes them very disposable. And it's a, it's maybe a more disposable way to think about language mm, learning. Interesting. I mean, I am a dabbler, like at heart. Mm. Like, I just mm. love the discovery. And I know that I'm never going to be able to learn all the languages that I want to the depth that I would like. So accepting that I can, you know, have, whether it's a lesson or whether it's just, you know, some time with a book on my own where there's no other human involved, you know, no one is, is being, mm. uh, sort of disposed of in that way. Um, it's just, it's fun to know that I can do that without consequence, yeah. I think, you know? Mm. But the thought of consequence then is, it, I think it's actually a good thought to have and maybe the one responsible step that we can take. Okay, um, that brings us, that brings me sort of to the, the, the end of this article because I was reading this and I encourage you readers, have a read of this. Um, uh, and I was kind of sat there like, oh, and, oh my God, oh my God, how is this going to end? What can, because the instant question that you have is like, what can I do? What can we do? Um, and I personally, like, I don't, I didn't have the same sort of guilt reaction as you or the sort of like, oh, you shouldn't feel guilty because I don't think, I think Lindsay's right. Um, maybe I'm just a little bit more ruthless, but I mean, I, I don't feel guilty for participating in this, but I feel, I do feel like this has been a sort of, this is good. It's good that someone's come and given me a little shake and gone like, hey, hey, have you thought about this? And I'm like, oh, no, especially because, um, multilingual people and all these people who we you know we know in the language learning community are actually people who care about ethics we care about diversity we care about so many different things mm. right that if you consider yourself a caring person then then this awareness that i'm operating in an industry here um and i am playing my part as a consumer from especially if you're from a rich country and you're economically safe is is an interesting thought to kind of just work through um as, as an internet user don't you think as well there's also there's also an element of that of you know language learners generally being or wanting to be quite ethical and quite global thinking that then makes it feel like we talked about the idea of nobility that then links back to that of like, you know, oh, I'm doing it for free because this is the, the good thing to do. This is the ethical thing. And I'm a good global person. Do you see what I'm saying? I think, I think it, you mean, if you're saying it lays more pressure on the teachers to make themselves yeah. more available and maybe not enforce boundaries yes, as well yes, and to drop yes. their prices. That's exactly because, what I'm saying. Because it's such a noble cause. Um, and because, and because your, your student is such a lovely person for even deigning to engage in your language, then yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's something mm. that can happen. Oh, it is depressing, isn't it? Okay. It's depressing. Right. I'm going <laughs> to, I've got more quotes. They're, they're a little bit less depressed. No, actually they're not. Okay. So 
the, the conclusion that this article comes to is the language industry is suffering. I think that's my summarizer's uh, slight editorial comment there. Language industry is suffering. We are all suffering. Service providers, uh, learners in the system. The, the one maybe aspect that isn't suffering is the sort of corporate environments who take a cut and who you know, uh, mine algorithms, etc. So we all love multilingualisms, but teachers, translators and interpreters are consistently underfunded. And then something that the article touches on is that in traditional education environments, such as universities, they often talk about global learning and, you know, open to the world. And again, that nobility comes through that sort of mm -hmm, normal course, mm -hmm. we're also open. But at the same time, language departments are among one of the first to be cut. Yeah. First to be cut. Um, and generally language education, especially in English speaking countries, like when I see what what's going on in the UK, what's always gone on in the UK, it's just really underfunded. So even in the traditional system, what that results in as a language teacher, your job security doesn't feel quite so secure. Maybe you start side hustling. Maybe you start offering a few lessons on the platform. And then exa that exacerbates the problem because now you have a qualified, experienced teacher with classroom experience as the top, like, say, product who sets their price here and then everybody else has to kind of cascade down. Um, and that's and that's an issue in itself. But again, even the fact that a language teacher in a traditional system doesn't have security, it's, again, this sort of sense that it's, 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 it's a weird situation where we talk of valuing this so much, yet the economic truth is it's actually getting devalued. And the final quote... Um, bring your tissues out because this is you're going to cry um, <laughs> what what the article concludes is um, we have put up with products inspired less by linguistic justice than by game design we have acquiesced to corporate cognitive science experiments that harvest and mold our habits as data when it comes to acquiring languages we have learned to ignore our agency our sense of ethics and social justice even as we have flexed these same faculties to support a bookstore or a clothing company. Simply put, we have consented to being the consumers that the language industry wants us to be. Do you know what gives me hope, though, in that? Mm -hmm. Coffee. And it says... No, sorry, <laughs> that was... you got to let me finish. It gives me hope I every don't day, coffee. It get... Bookstore and the clothing company thing, right? And coffee. They're all really mm -hmm. good examples mm -hmm. of how things are changing and people do want to be more ethical consumers of coffee of books of clothes these tides are kind mm -hmm. of turning mm -hmm. in other industries other industries that changed first if you like right you know we've had fast fashion long before we've had fast language learning and so mm -hmm. maybe it's only a matter of mm -hmm. time before language learners go huh, okay, how can I turn this around? How can I make my language learning as ethical as my book buying, my coffee buying or my clothes, for example? I, th I think I can see in the next five years the creation of at least one company that is the ethical sort of language learning company and that being a new trend in the industry. Mm. I think that could come. Um, it's interesting that you talk about fast fashion because it's true. And um, with clothing production and uh, clothing factories, uh, the I once read this was interesting. It's like 
you can trace around the world almost where the where the really where the real poverty is where where there's a lot of poverty and where a country is um possibly going to emerge in the next sort of decades because it start like you're thinking of the cotton mills in mm. in northern england um and the clothing production in northern england which was entirely you know terrible working conditions people living in terrible slums terrible you know poverty and stuff like that and then at some point this country got too got richer um and then it started going you know maybe to eastern europe um and then it started going you know it got, it's gone to china and then it goes to bangladesh um so wherever the clothes are made is where the poverty is basically um and i certainly don't want it to ever become a thing where it's like wherever the language teachers are based because there are certain platforms where it's like particularly the article mentions the philippines mm. for example where english levels are high um and there's a lot of poverty you don't want to make you don't want to the world to become where the languages are taught that's where the poverty is and i think that's the risk that this highlights so i've got a few questions that the article advocated for do you want Go to hear it. them when you is when this, you're out is, this the shop? is this like what we can okay. do because i'm fired up now okay yeah yeah i mean there isn't really a what you can do but it's sort of what, what you, you could can think consider. about yeah um i think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so number one if the service is free who bears the cost oh yeah always ask that question Second, everything yeah. Always a good question. I often say, like, if, if it's free, you're the product. Second, if the is the provider honest about pay rates for teachers? Mm -hmm. Excellent question to ask. Um, particularly if you're going to look into, like, this is less for our, I think, podcast audience, because you are, you, you wonderful listeners tend to be um, English speakers, but especially the sort of these English teaching factories almost. Um, and I think in those environments, it's, it's particularly prevalent that the working conditions are bad. Okay, number three, are teacher positions disguised under such euphemisms as life coach, guide or conversation partner? Hmm, this one I find diff difficult because like if I think about Italki when it's professional teacher and community teacher, I think that runs in the other direction mm -hmm, that... Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not like a qualified teacher, like I've done a TEFL course, but I'm not mm. a qualified teacher. So I always felt a bit like on eggshells about using the word teacher because I haven't done a PGCE or I haven't taught in a school, you know? So there's that. Oh, Lindsay, I've got an oh. episode for you about that. There you go. I did one. Go. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to link both of those in the show notes. Um, so for our teaching friends, um, I think... It's actually the other way around, isn't it? Because I, I'm looking at this word conversation partner. That's not something you'd expect to be paid for. That's not something. So maybe no, it's I actually are the companies using terms that make that make you expect less that you're working with a teacher. Mm. You know what I mean? Like so that they can drop the rates that they're paying mm. these people. So maybe it's it's actually not teacher. I think when it's a teacher, you expect to pay more than when it's like. A guide, you think, oh, yeah, they're just a full-time employee. Just yeah, so maybe these other like terms don't devalue teacher. Maybe they add value to the term teacher because they distinguish it from conversation partner, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Or maybe these terms, like you say, like teacher, we expect a certain level of qualification often, and there's a sort of, you know, thoughts around that. Whereas conversation partners, like, oh, we just found someone that yeah. you can get for cheap 
which again knocks onto the learner, right? The learner gets worse experience out of this just for saving money. And when you first look at this, it's not quite what you think. So it's a good question, actually. So if you see that, are you still, when you see come and work with our live conversation partners, do you think of it in the same way as like, these are teachers I need to pay? Mm. So mm -hmm, interesting. In next time you show next it is a good sort of next time you shop in just observe and see what it brings up in you um no judgment again there's no no judgment instantly off the learner um but yeah you can sort of observe some industry behaviors here okay next questions this is a big one to me are career options career openings focused on software engineering user experience and digital marketing strategies rather than on teaching and linguistics oh yeah okay that's a brilliant question mm-hmm Next one, and this one's good, um, is the phrase native speaker privileged in oh. descriptions of teachers at the cost of their training or yeah, expertise? Yeah, I feel strongly about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, just because just someone's a native, I mean, we both know, it's just because someone's a native speaker doesn't make them a good teacher. Um, but if we're advertising this sort of work with native speakers um, as if like that meant work with people who give you a great mm. learning experience, not the same thing, but you can get much more native speakers for, probably for cheaper if you're going to look for a bank of people that you can, whose services you can sell. Oh, this is depressing. Okay, last one. Is user data collected to run engagement experiments that fine-tune the persuasion of apps designed to steer our behavior? Ooh. Great question. <laughs> I mean, that's the internet. Let me just delete all the social media. Um, this is generally a great question to ask that I think none of us ask enough and all of us sort of go, la, 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 la. Or is no, that just I me? think that's true. <laughs> yeah. um, they, they are experimenting on us. And um, again, but it's a good question to ask. And it is a good question. You know, when you download another free app, maybe investigate that, if particularly if that's something you care about. And it's like, like um, the the commenter in my Facebook group said, um, it's a symbiotic relationship. I know they sell my data. I'm happy with that. Um, that's fine, right? It's not about it. It's about choices, and it's about informed choices. And I think what what this really brings up is, I think we can do more to be informed and empowered consumers in this environment and make choices that actually put linguistic justice first, not uh corporate cognitive science experiments as the article puts mm. it yeah sadly that but is true grim. <laughs> <laughs> and and we don't blame you know we don't, we're not and i think you're right the you know i'm bringing it back to what you said about the pendulum swinging so extreme from one side yeah. to the other um, and I'm thinking again, and just want to leave this with the the emphasis that as a language learner, just because you can't, just because something isn't free or just because you might want to put in a little bit of money into your learning experience, that doesn't mean it's going to break the bank and you will lose all of your income to this. But, you know, people have many, many enriching hobbies and enjoy investing in them. Um, I think there is something in the fact that these aren't tangible things. I briefly spoke to my husband, who's a software developer. Uh, so sorry, a web developer. Sorry, Christian. Anyway, uh, he works as a developer who's, you know, been a programmer for decades. Um, and he was saying that 
it's with with programming this kind of happens too and there is this element of it being something intangible um people not wanting to pay for apps etc because they're not a real thing um and it gives us this sort of feeling where something is a little bit different right you think about you think about paying differently rather than you don't you know like if you go into a shop and buy a pen it's something that you can hold it's something that you you can touch and that gives you a, a different perspective of value as a, a different perception of value so the conclusion here really is thinking like what is value what is valuable and if it's valuable to you how are you as a consumer expressing that in your choices yeah that's it you're right about the tangible thing think about music and film mm. you know the way that we mostly mm -hmm. don't buy cds and dvds anymore you kind of uh you yeah. consume it differently and you think you know it should be it should be free it should be accessible it's like well that musician isn't just working for your entertainment they're working so they can make a living <laughs> you know yeah like, imagine yeah. if taylor swift didn't get and who paid makes the money spotify right oh yeah exactly and you can see that they've got the money by the way that they are now producing their own content and you know if you get a spotify playlist often it has this like a lot of the kind of um musicians that where you know like when you go like focus music piano tracks and there's sort of um solitude 2 by marvin marvin piano man or whatever marvin piano man is made up it's like it's just some stock music ah. very often or it's produced like it's um spotify investing and kind of just getting the stuff produced um because they know it's you know it's product that people want um doesn't make focus music any worse but it's just these sort of things where you're like oh yeah you know the it's a really good example that you brought that yeah. with music we have seen this um and we have seen musicians pushing back and not being able to stem the tide so this is this is a lot of this is the tide um and we're taylor swift and just thinking about it we, we are taylor swift <laughs> well we are somewhere in this in this world and i think it's um as a as somebody who works with language learners you know who does do coaching based services and and educates myself about about coaching who does um you know create courses who does work with people and want to help language learners get the best possible results and experience as a consequence of thinking about all this it there is also this level where i feel empowered and i feel like yes i am operating in an industry and i can put my guilt and concerns i must put my guilt and concerns about not being noble because i'm not cheap always um because my like where i live isn't cheap i don't need to justify anyway um i i can put all that to one side yeah. right like if we if we suddenly started talking about hairdressing as like the noblest profession in the world um and how beautiful it is to have to have a haircut and how it makes us all better humans would we suddenly expect everybody to be a volunteer hairdresser like no we operate in an industry money is already sloshing around this industry and we can take this as an empowering message as well as a, a message that makes us at first a little bit unsettled and disturbed at least that was my emotional reaction yeah. to it exactamente Ooh, okay. learn that word on duolingo Listeners, i didn't really i'm sure I didn't really <laughs> I learned the word for parsnips. 
<laughs> I'm sure you all have opinions and thoughts, etc. So if you want to share your opinions and thoughts, please do. Um, I know this is controversial, crush and clucks and hot potato, etc., etc. Um, but do share what your thoughts are. Do um, avail yourself to this beautiful article. It is in the Boston Review and I'm going to link to it and it's not behind a paywall or anything. Um, so someone has... Probably somebody got paid for writing this, I hope. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> how noble of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're getting it for free. They're getting advertising revenue. Just if we have to really, really think about this, that is what the internet has given us. Um, don't forget, I'm going to mention it again. Uh, this, this show is sponsored by a language learning app where I have thought about where are they getting all their data from and how is this whole thing working. Um, it's called Closemaster and is definitely, definitely worth a look. Um, but with as a considering empowered strong language learner and consumer with lots and lots of new thoughts i wish you a really really wonderful day you can email me kirsten k-e-r-s-t-i-n at fluentlanguage.co.uk and you can find us on social media where our data will be further exploited and we're all gonna have fun <laughs> and it is goodbye from me goodbye and goodbye from Lindsay williams Goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. It's at The Fluent Show and on Instagram it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you and we read every message and review. See you next episode.